All right, so welcome to Carlsbad Bible Church. We hope that you've had a great week so far. We're glad that you're here today, and um, we're hoping that you'll enjoy um, the worship with us today. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 19, and please stand for the reading of God's Word, and um, we'll get going. Sorry. <laughs> you gave me that idea, I saw it, I said, okay. Yes, James chapter 1, verse 19, and we'll read through verse 27. And it says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and gentleness, receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. To become doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he looked at himself and has gone away, he immediately forgot what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man will be blessed and what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious while not bridling his tongue, but deceiving his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We're glad to have you here today. It's been... uh, a good year for Carlsbad Bible Church. We have seen many things go on in the year 2023. Um, there's been lots of changes, lots of discussion, and I feel that in 2024 we'll see many, many more changes and all to move forward with the teaching and growing of the saints. Um, so we're here today. We're going to Philippians. Let's go to Philippians. And we are going to wrap up the book of Philippians. We are in chapter 4. And the Apostle Paul is uh, going to give us his last words to the Philippians. Um, So... So we're now at the final study of our epistle here to the Philippians. We look at chapter 4. I think Owen went through verse 10 through uh, 17 last week. And I will go touch base on 17 and finish it out through 23. So I struggled with being the last day of the year and being the new year. If maybe we should talk about resolutions as Owen mentioned earlier or anything like that. I remember probably about 15 years ago, a friend of mine was going to preach at the church, and it was the last Sunday of the church. And he asked me, what should I preach on? And I think I made the recommendation. Well, preach on resolutions, right? Well, he ended up not preaching about resolutions, right? And so I'll probably not preach on resolutions today. <laughs> but maybe I'll have a challenge for you at the end of the sermon, right? That you can use maybe as a resolution. Bless you. And so, again, here we are with Paul. To me, it's such an emotional ending. Um, As I finish my study, um, 
I almost broke down in tears just thinking about, you know, what's going on here. Paul is full of joy. This is the last letter written to the church. It's the last letter that Paul uh, will write. Um, and this is the letter to the Philippians. And uh, so it was, in a sense, the last, Paul's last chance or last influence on the church from a written and uh, note. And um, <clears throat> with that, we see, or we see uh, a divine intervention, and I'll talk about that here as we get to those passages. But in chapter 4, we see Paul, like I said, he's excited. And let's go ahead and read verses 10. Oh, I don't want to do that too. Let's read 15 through 23. He says, And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church fellowshiped with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. <clears throat> for that I seek the gift itself. But I seek the fruit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I have been filled, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will fulfill all your needs according to his riches, glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God, the Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word today. We thank you um, <clears throat> for this last note that Paul writes to us, Lord, not just to the Philippians, Lord, but to us as a church, Lord. And God, I just pray that we are glorified in um, your word today. Help me, Lord, explain it in a way that's understandable, Lord. And I pray that those who are listening, Lord, can absorb it and reflect on it the way I was able to, Lord. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so, Paul is excited the Philippian book, or the, uh, the epistle to the Philippians is written, you know, we could probably write it with one word, and that word is joy. And Paul has this whole epistle, all four chapters, saturated with joy. Paul has received a gift from the Philippians. Um, once again, it's not the first time he's received a gift from them. But in verse 10, Paul is speaking of the gift that Epaphroditus gave him, this last gift from the Philippians. Paul is excited about the gift, not because he needed it, but because of the thoughtfulness of the Philippians. He is excited, he is extremely pleased with the Philippian church. Paul then tells us that he is content in his current circumstance. He tells us that he is able to do all things with the help of the one who enables him, which is who? Christ, indeed. No matter if he is well fed or hungry, whether he's rich or poor, he will trust in the Lord. 
Paul goes on to talk about their partnership. Paul is very pleased with their assistance to him during a time of need throughout his ministry. When no one else would step up, he could depend on the Philippian church to support him without being asked. So we'll see here, we'll see that there is a partnership in ministry with the Philippians and Paul. There was never an agreement, but it's almost as if the Philippians felt obligated or pricked in their heart to walk alongside Paul. And they gave and they supported without being asked from Paul. Just like we send out financial assistance to ministries and or ministers at Carlsbad Bible Church, we have built relationships that reach outside of our local ministry, just like the Philippian church with Paul. It pleases us at Carlsbad Bible Church, just like Paul, when God uses us to fulfill His will. So this type of partnership is not a business partnership, but it is, a, but it is working together as one unit. The body and bride of Christ fulfilling what He has called each each and every one of us to do until the day he returns or calls us home. So we are to be faithful, we are to be growing, and we are to be working in Christ's likeness until we go home. The ministry of the Philippians to Paul continues through verse 20. Okay, and we'll wrap up the epistle to the Philippians today, like I mentioned if the Lord wills. Depends how many rabbit trails I'll go down. <laughs> no, I think we'll wrap it up today. But uh, we are now at verse 17. And I know Owen ended there last time, but I'll pick it back up. As you go through many commentators again, we see this multiple times through the book of Colossians. There's this idea of where it splits and how the, the thought processes are, are interweaved with each other. But I'll pick up verse 17 again as I feel that it feeds back into 18. And discussing it with Owen last week, I think he feels the same way. And so we'll continue um, through verse 17, or beginning, we'll start at verse 17 to go through. So in verse 17, we see Paul's unselfishness, unselfishness in action. He says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the fruit which increases to your account. Paul is not focused on the gift, but on the gain to their account. Okay, it's not about him. It's about them. Paul has not focused on the gift, but on the fruit. This fruit is an investment that is sure to bring profit at the end, in eternity. As we give to the Lord, whether it's materialism, whether it's cash, our time, etc., whatever we give to the Lord, we too as Christians are making an internal investment and this will be applied to our accounts in the future as well. So as believers, all that we have already belongs to who? To God, right? It already belongs to God. If you have a good paying job and you're making millions of dollars, who gave that to you as a Christian? The Lord. Or if you're a young 
person and you're only making 10000 a year working at Burger King or McDonald's, who gave that to you? The Lord, right? It doesn't matter. What you have is being given a gift to you if you are a believer. So as believers, all that we have belongs to the Lord. And you can only understand that if you look at it from this perspective. We are slaves of Christ. We only have what the Master gives us. We have nothing. All we brought to this relationship was our sin. And God forgives it and we come with nothing. And you know what? As we learn with Joel, God could take it back at any time, right? He can give you whatever he wants and he can take it back whenever he wants. At any moment. We saw this, we see this with Job, right? We saw, we see Paul and his ups and downs. But he can do that at any time. So the big one that causes heartburn or has or has been advantage of is Owen mentioned it last week, but money, financials, right? This is one thing that has been taken advantage of. So it's a hard thing to talk about sometimes. <clears throat> so if you want to see the heart of a person, what do you go after? Their money, right? Or if a person doesn't have it, they'll take it out of their greed. Okay? But this is not the Apostle Paul. The question is, not how much do I give the Lord when I have, but the question is, how much will I keep back for myself when I have to get back? That's a harder perspective to look at it, right? Not what do I give God, because it all belongs to Him. The question is, is what am I going to take for myself when I think He's not looking, right? Or what am I going to keep back for myself? So we see this idea, we see this in Acts chapter 5. Let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 5. This should be a very familiar to, uh, story to all of us, or history to all of us, right? It's not a story. <clears throat> be very familiar history, but we see this. You guys have heard of Ananias and Sapphira? If not, this is very interesting. Acts chapter 5. <clears throat> So there was this man and this woman, and it seems as if they had sold some land and committed it all to the Lord, okay? But somewhere there, there was temptation. Let's take a look. It says, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet and Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your authority? Why is it that you laid this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but have lied to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard. And the young men rose up and wrapped him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now, there was an interval about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you were paid this much for the land. And she said, yes, that much. 
Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. Now imagine if the Lord continued purifying the church in this way, right? How many of us would be left? I probably wouldn't be here preaching to you, right? I have fallen into temptations before, sinful, uh, from you know, a financial perspective. What do I give? What do I not? And you know, I've struggled with these things. Uh, but again, if God were to purify His church, how many of us would be here today? But that's not what Paul's looking at here. Okay? Paul is looking at something different. He's looking at the riches that he sees. Also, there's another warning. We, we also see Paul, and we don't have to go there. We can go back to, we can go back to a, um, Philippians. But I'll, I'll go to 2 Corinthians real quick. We see Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 telling the Corinthian church to give to the poor in the, in the Jerusalem church with a cheerful heart, not to look at it from what the church and in Corinth would gain, but to look at it from what they would gain, making that heavenly deposit for themselves. So the thought is, as we give, it's not for what that other person is going to gain, but it's about what we gain in heaven. Okay. One commentator says it says he says it should be the Christian's desire to live economically and sacrificially in order to give an everlasting portion of his income to the work of the Lord, that men might not perish. For want of hearing the gospel of Christ. That's interesting. It says that men should not perish for want of hearing the gospel of Christ. So again, Paul here is focused on the fruit and now reflects back on the gift himself. He focuses on the group and tells us that as we give, we give in a way that is an eternal investment. But he has to go back to the gift now. This word gift is only used three times in the New Testament. We see this in Matthew 7, 11 and Luke eleven thirteen. Jesus speaks of the good gifts that fathers give their children. And in Ephesians 4, 7 through 8, Christ gives gifts to the church. Okay? Paul is focused on the spiritual welfare and the spiritual dividends of the people. Okay, but Paul does celebrate the gift. Paul celebrates the gift that was given to him. We look at verse 18. He says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I have been filled, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. So Paul now, he honors He praises, he celebrates this gift given to him. This last gift that he'll receive ever from the Philippian church that we know of. But if we look at the beginning of verse 18, he says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I have been filled. In the Greek, this is only six words. 
and is known, this section here is known to be a very polished, really sleek, really strong and thanks saturated uh, text <clears throat> that affirms the effect of the Philippian gift to Paul. Paul is really deeply appreciative. He says, but I have received everything in full. There's this depth that's coming from his, the depth of his heart when he says this. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. He is really excited. He is just overwhelmed. He does not know how to respond to the Philippian church. <clears throat> and again, we, this is more financial type language, you know, money type language. When Paul says he has received everything in full, is him saying, in a sense, I have been paid in full, and to prove it, here is my receipt. Like, you have given way too much, right? You have given me so much that I can prove it. Like, I'm done. Like, it's complete. It's almost as if he says, no more, right? He's just so overwhelmed with this. No more. There was something lacking, though, if we look at chapter 2, verse 30, there was something lacking in Paul's ministry in that section, that chapter, 230. Let's go ahead and read it real quick. Turn over a couple pages, maybe one for some of you. It says, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to fulfill what was lacking in your service to me. But now, because of the Philippian church, church's gift, it had now been fulfilled completely and was dismissed so whatever they gave him he was able to fulfill what he was lacking okay so more than likely it was a cash gift but because of this gift we can almost look back now let's go to verse 11 of chapter 4 and let's reread. Now knowing this information, now knowing what Owen has preached in the past, and now seeing what Paul has told us here, so we can now reflect back on verses 11 through 13. It says, now that I, because this, remember, this gift was already received, okay, before Paul wrote this. So all this is in his mind. Now that I speak from want, for I learn to be content in whether, whether, whatever circumstances I am. Verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means, right? Without, so before this gift, he knew how to get along. And they also know how to live in abundance. And in any and all things, I have learned the secret to being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We can now see Paul's meaning behind the verse. He has experienced both sufferings and now abundance once again because of this gift. The word abundant here speaks of financial resources, which explains the idea of cash, and that's why most people feel that this is a cash gift. But he now says, I have been paid to the full, to the max, and then some. Okay, Their gift to him, <clears throat> he will later here in the next verse, we'll see, that God will pay them to the full, to the max as well, or he prays for that at least. So he has been paid full by the love gift delivered by Epaphroditus. If we go back to chapter 1, 
We look at verses 9 through 11. It says, and this I pray. Again, remember, he's already received this gift. He's responding to the Philippians after this gift has been given to him. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in full knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and without fault until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That prayer is emotional. The relationship is so strong in Christ that they are overfilling with fruit of righteousness and it's pouring over to others like Paul. Okay, What their fruit, the Philippian church is doing, is pouring over to Paul. This transformation can only happen as we believe the gospel, right? We can only have this true fruit of righteousness if we believe in the gospel. We go back now to chapter 4, verse 18. He says, <clears throat> But I have received everything in full, and have an abundance. I have been filled, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. Then he goes on to say, this love gift now is now described as what? He says, it's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. This gift, like that right there is so deep. It's so deep, just that phrase this, this gift is now described with sacrificial language taken partially from the Old Testament. This language comes from various ceremonial passages such as um, Exodus 29:18. But you'll see that through the Old Testament as we move, we get to Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 41, it shifts, it shifts towards a more figurative application. But Paul does use, we see in Philippians, he uses priestly language to describe Christian service in the book of Philippians. In chapter 2, verse 17, he says, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. We see the same type of language in 2.25 and 2.30 as well. This service priestly language, we see that there. Now, in the New Testament, you look at Ephesians. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. <clears throat> he says, And walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Okay? So we see these sacrificial thoughts or language in the Old Testament. Now we see it here in Ephesians 5, 2. But here in Ephesians, this image is used of Christ's sacrifice for who? The believers, for us. Okay? And this is, was a pleasing, fragrant aroma. And so this gift, too, is a pleasing, fragrant aroma. This phrase is representing approval by God himself. That's the key here. Which here in this text, which is why it is pleasing to God. Let's go back and look now. <clears throat> so here's, here's kind of what was interesting to me. Let me read the text again, verse 18. It says, but I have received everything in full 
and have an abundance. Again, you can see, I'm trying to show you the emotional behind Paul through this text. I have been filled, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. And it's almost as if, when he says, as you have sent, it's almost as if Paul disappears and the face of God comes up and he says, you have sent a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. It's almost as if God himself is so into this, is so pleased that he comes out through this phrase here and says that this gift, doesn't matter about Paul, but it's pleasing to me. Because every time this phrase is used, it's pleasing to God. It's pleasing to God. It's approved by God himself. So in short, the Philippians thought they were ministering to Paul, but in all reality, they were ministering to God himself, and God celebrated this gift, and he found it as a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to himself. Interesting. When we give, does that give off an aroma? Does that please God? Is our heart right like the Philippian church? Man, it was just so impactful on me as I was going through this and looking at it and it's just intense so what an amazing moment to give in a way that God celebrates or approves of this offering and enjoys it through his people it's almost like Stephen when he got stoned in the book of Acts and Christ stands up and he gives him a standing ovation as he was coming into heaven here it's almost as if God cracks open the heavens and says this is gift is pleasing to me very interesting. So now we get to verse 19. <clears throat> it says, And my God will fulfill all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Sorry about that. <laughs> so now that Paul has experienced this fulfillment, he now prays that they too will trust that God will provide sufficiently for them as God has for him. Paul makes this a personal moment by using the phrase, my God, right there. He says, and my God will fulfill. You know, to demonstrate his brothers to trust in their or our personal father, our Abba Father, right? Those who are believers have that right. We now call God Abba Father. Okay, and he is aware of all their and our needs. So God in his vast wealth will take on the responsibility for giving to them as they give as they gave to Paul according to his riches. Um, one example a, uh, a commentator uses this. He says, <clears throat> it's just one of a millionaire. He says, if he gave a dime to, if a millionaire gave a dime to a child, he would be giving out of his riches. Okay? But if he gave $100,000 to some worthy cause, he would be giving according to his riches. God's supply is according to his riches in who? What does the verse say? In glory by Christ Jesus, right? Is there anything richer than that? No, right? There is not. But this section of verses here has this financial perspective right this cash perspective so paul continues with this theme um, through here and he ends it a one commentator kind of wraps this section up this verse and he says he says he calls this verse a note drawn upon the bank of faith 
this uh, commentator, Williams. So he says, my God, this is the verse, he says, is the name of the banker. He goes on to say that will fulfill is the promise to pay. All your need is the value of the note. According to his riches is the capital of the bank. In glory is the address of the bank. Then he says, by Christ Jesus is the signature at the foot without which the note is worthless. Okay, so Christ is the riches and Christ is where all the worth comes from. So the text tells us, <clears throat> and my God will fulfill all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So then next you can see this, and you can see hopefully I'm trying to paint this emotional, like this overwhelming thankfulness, this overwhelming joy on Paul, and then also the, the right heart attitude from the Philippian church that when both came together, God himself says that he is well, that he is pleased um, and it is a, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to himself. And with all this emotion and with all this there, we get to verse 20 and all of a sudden, Paul just blurts out this praise. He says, now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's so full of joy, this deep thought, this ending of this note, and just the gift in hand. All debts are paid, and he is just so filled with excitement. He breaks out into praise here. The word glory is carried over from verse 19. It is also used in chapter 1, verse 11. But here in verse 20, it speaks of the honor due to God. He's giving God the glory, the honor to God for this gift. He again speaks to him personally by calling him Father. Again, it's relational, right? He's not just saying God. And then also, he starts out this book or this epistle. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 2. Also, he mentions our God and Father. Again, the same excitement, the same joy is, starts out in chapter 1, verse 2, and now ends in chapter 4, verse 20. So this thought of joy through the whole book is interweaved through it all, through this moment, through this experience. Paul is full of joy, and that's why no doubt this book is the book of joy. He is excited he is moved by the church. <clears throat> he gives God the glory and extends it for forever and ever, right? And that's not enough. God in his eternity is more than forever and ever, right? But that's all he could fathom, so that's what he gave as a human. So we, we see here that giving money is not a bad thing. If it's used in its proper place, money makes things awkward sometimes in the church, right? We can all agree to that because of what's going on, as, as was mentioned last week, you know, because of all the televangelists, we see these false prophets, false apostles constantly asking for it. In fact, this is the first time in probably 20-something years I've ever taught on money or said anything about money that tells you how much I stay away from it, right? But today, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's a reality, right? It's what 
a tool that God uses to advance his kingdom, okay? <clears throat> Does he need it? No, but it's the human world is what we use, and so that's what we use to do it. So, <clears throat> those who provide financial resources to the church are also partnering, like with us, called by the Bible Church, to advance God's kingdom. <clears throat> we, as called by the Bible Church, are to be good stewards of resources to advance the gospel, okay? And not only that, though, as you give and as you have, you're also supposed to advance the gospel, your res- use your resources uh, uh, to, use, uh, to advance the gospel at home and abroad, right? Your goal is first, you, at home, minister to your family. We as a church, as elders, will minister to you, the flock. <clears throat> but every man has a place in this. You are to shepherd your family. We as the elders shepherd the flock. There's no escape. So use the finances that God has given, that he has set up back since Genesis to train your family. Some of us are called to be on the front line, okay? And others are called to support them. I use this example all the time. You know, um, in high school, you have all these jocks that are picking on the nerds, right? But in the big picture, the jocks in the future, especially specifically the military, they are depending on these nerds to keep them safe with all the technology that's out there today, right? So you have this co-labor. Each one of those have a place in the big picture of the world and same thing in in the world of, of Christ, of the church. We have those who are on the front line and others who are called to support them. It is important that we as individuals pray about our involvement, about using our gifts. I'm not talking about just financial gift, but our spiritual gifts. Or whether we're supposed to go out, our, supposed to go out ourselves or we're to send somebody out. <clears throat> but no matter what we decide, God will help us be content if we are in his will and we are praying. Okay, we, are to, we will be content. And if we're not content, then we probably made the wrong decision and pack your bags and let's go, right? <laughs> so again, Paul is here. He's excited. He gives God glory. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now he begins to wrap up with these last three verses. We see his final greetings, his blessing. We look at verse 21. He says, greet every saint in Jesus Christ. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, remember that these letters were read out loud to the whole church. If this letter was sent to Carlsbad Bible Church, we would get up here, we would open it up. All of you would probably be sitting in real tight as we're teaching it because you're wanting to hear what the Apostle Paul has to say to us, right? He wrote back. A prophet of the Lord, an apostle of the Lord, wrote back to us one where we have partnered in ministry with. He writes back. So Paul says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Imagine you're there, okay? You can imagine them all smiling and laughing at each other with joy because Paul says hello to every one of them. 
if I read this letter out too, it says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. You're like, oh, he's talking about me. It's so exciting. The apostle Paul mentioned me in his letter, right? And you can see them like what Chris is doing, laughing and being giddy, right? <laughs> and it says, and those that are not Christians, but because they are there, he says, and greet every saint in Christ Jesus, he's giving them something to think about. <laughs> he says hello to all the believers, but if you're not a believer there, oh, well, he's not talking to me, but I guess I better think about this, right? He's unintentionally preaching the gospel to them. But he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> and he goes on to say, the brothers who are with me, they greet you too. Again, what excitement it was even to think about other believers whom you haven't met. When I go somewhere, I know when Owen went to uh, Kenya, Kenya, right? Tanzania, I'm sorry. Went to Tanzania. I'm sure there were people that said, say hello to the church for me. Say hello to Carlsbad Bible Church. Because even though we don't know each other, what do we have in common? Christ, right? And we feel the same pressures. We have the same burdens. And we glorify the same God together. We praise the same God. We preach the same gospel. We've never met each other. But we know that there's connection, connection there. The brothers who are with me greet you. So again, what excitement is it to think about other believers whom you haven't met saying hello? <clears throat> so this kind of reminds me back in the day when we didn't have social media or smartphones. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I was young, we would, you know, if you wanted to tell someone hello, I would say, hey, Jesus, go tell that girl over there. I said hello, right, as a friend, right? So he would go there, hey, Ray says hello. And then she's like, oh, you know, who's this, right? You know, I don't even know this Ray. But now they're thinking, who's this person? Do I know them? What do they look like? Maybe I have seen them, right? But they're just excited. But you see this, right? That's what's happening here when he says, these saints greet you. These saints that are with me greet you. They've probably never met. <clears throat> but then... Paul takes it another level. He says, all the saints greet you, but especially those of Caesar's household. We come to these texts, and we're so passive about them. Um, many years ago, I did a study on community and what it looked like in God's community. What did it look like to, to have community? And that kind of convinced me about you know having certain types of programs in churches. I believe that community should... We should have Bible studies in the home and do things that way and bring the community to us. Some of you have seen us do that in our own home. But I learned that if you go back to every epistle that Paul has written, you'll see a community of people at the end of every epistle. And you see these people there. There's this community, some in the church, some outside of the church, but there's a community of people. Okay? Paul says here, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, again, we go so passively with these verses and don't slow down to look at the depth of what they're trying to tell us. These were members of Nero's household during this time. Nero that used the Christians as candles to light up the streets. Yeah, that Nero, okay? 
These are members of Nero's household. They also could have been soldiers. They could, they could have been slaves working in the household. We really don't know who these people were for sure. But imagine the thoughts after this statement was said. That would, that would have been amazing, right, to think that some of Nero's households were believers. If I was with Paul writing this note, just thinking, wow, there are believers in the household of Nero, of Caesar. One commentator said that what we do, well, he goes, one commentator said, what we do know is that just like spiders, Christians find their way into king's places, okay? Proverbs uses the same type of analogy, but he uses lizards in Proverbs 30, verse 28, okay? So the Christians are everywhere, no matter, even if a, if a, if a spider can crawl into it, if you ever opened a tightly sealed barrel and you open it up, there's like spider webs everywhere, like how in the world did they get in there? But they're there, that's how the gospel is, right? That's how God's word is. God places it there. There are no boundaries for the gospel, over many generations, it has been found. It has been uh, over many generations. It has been. It's found its way into forbidden places. It has pierced the minds of those who are trying to eliminate it. It has escaped chambers where it was chained to a desk. Right, Noah. What do we learn in Martin Luther? Right, he brought the word to who? Which people did you bring it to? He trans. What's that? The town folk, right? He translated it to what language? German, that's right. He brought it out of a confined space, and the Lord used Martin Luther to bring this out to the townsmen, the simple, the lay people. Nothing can stop it. So again, there's so much depth. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And now verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul now closes with the same grace he started out with. Again, back to verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 2. We saw God the Father. He talks about grace. Again, you can see that he begins this book with the same excitement and he finishes it with the same excitement. He wraps it up. <clears throat> Paul now closes with the same grace he started out with. In 1-2, Paul's heart was filled with joy as he wrote the last letter to the saints. And he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And I'll finish with this last saying from, or this last quote from one commentator, or one person, his name is Paul Rees, in his book, The Adequate Man, says this, he says, the greatest of humans has written his warmest of letters. The love task is finished. The day is gone. The chain is still there upon the apostolic wrist. The soldier, the soldier is still on guard. And he says, never mind. Paul's spirit is free. His mind is clear. His heart is glowing. Paul is excited. Then he says, and the next morning... Epaphroditus strides away to Philippi with this letter in his hand. What amazing. And just that was the, the thought that captured me that, man, he's walking away with this letter. He gave it to the Philippian church 
And now today, 2,000 years later, we're reading this and enjoying the same moment that Paul had with the Philippians. So amazing. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the message today, Lord. Just the simple things, Lord, that show us your richness, Lord. Just to see your truth, Lord, through this section of, of passages, Lord, to see Paul's excitement and to see you, Lord, be pleased with this church. I pray that we too, Lord, please you in the same way, Lord. Thank you for this book, Lord. It has brought joy to my heart. I pray that it has brought joy to the church. Thank you for all the those who preached through it, Lord, those who studied hard and tried to explain and teach this book, Lord. I pray, Lord, now that you put in our hearts where we should go next and what we should do, Lord. We just thank you for all that you are. And I pray, Lord, that if for those who are not saved here, that they understand that simple sentence, that simple phrase that Paul said, I greet the saints there. I pray that they think about that. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We know that your word over 2,000 years has been faithful and true. Nothing can eliminate it. We have watched it go through many trials and tribulations, and yet here we are 2,000 years later preaching from it. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen.